welcome to another episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. I'm your host, Dustin Sutton, and today we have a truly extraordinary guest with us, Ms. Allison Weiss. She is the founder and principal of CRE Recruiting and CRE at Work. One of the things that jumped out in this conversation with Allison is her unique perspective in life and her upbringing and how she brings her entire self to her work in helping people and helping companies find the right people for their teams. And one of the things that in 2020, she made the decision to give up her place and 99% of her possessions. And so she's been a digital nomad on the road, but still being highly effective in her job and helping individuals and companies meet their hiring needs. So I hope you enjoy this thought-provoking conversation as we talk about Allison's unique lifestyle and her experiences in running her business from the road and how all of her experiences have led her to be the person that she is. So without any further ado, here's Allison. Allison, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Dustin. I'm so happy to be here. So I will have recorded an intro prior to this, but could you please tell our listeners who you are and a little bit more about what you do? Absolutely. So I am the principal and founder of CRE Recruiting. We are a full-service talent firm focused on commercial real estate. So we do placements from early career entry-level roles all the way up through the executive level and in every uh, vertical of our business as well. So CRE Tech, Prop Tech, owner, investor, developers, and vertically integrated firms, all the way to brokerage firms and everywhere in between. And I've been doing that for the last 10 years, exclusively in commercial real estate, and also a full-time digital nomad, which I'm excited to talk to you about. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about there. There's several different areas of overlap that, I, that I'm excited to discuss with you. But prior to getting to that, your current role, let's talk about Allison's origin story. Like where where did you begin and let's talk about your journey into getting to the the point in your career. Sure. So I guess to zoom out a little bit um, and go way back, little Allison was raised in a military family. So I grew up in 13 different places before I turned 15. And then I was in Wisconsin for about 12 years. And then I moved to LA unexpectedly and stayed there for about 10 years. And so I originally probably thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. I was that weird horse girl. And I, I also, um, you know, wanted to be an art teacher at one point in time. So that's what I went to school for. But when I graduated, there were really no teaching jobs. And so I had to pivot. And I actually was able to get one of, you know, just a few really coveted roles as a consultant for my sorority. So that was my first job outside of college was a consultant for my sorority traveling around the country visiting different chapters, helping them with recruiting, PR, um, on-campus events, and, and things like that. And then my first real job outside of that um, was working in a family office. And that's when I first was exposed to entrepreneurship. I had grown up in a family where everyone worked for someone, and work was kind of a chore. Work was something that wasn't supposed to be fun. That's why they called it work. And you didn't expect to have fun at work. And um, so all of these different attitudes about work, I just expected that I would probably, you know, go work for a company and maybe work for a few companies. But um, I was never exposed to entrepreneurship until I worked for this family office. And it really opened my eyes and planted that seed in me 
And so I knew from that moment on that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I didn't know how that was going to manifest. And then I kind of fell into recruiting and went through a few different industries. I was first in insurance and financial services, and then later in legal, and then eventually found my way to commercial real estate and worked for some of the biggest uh, publicly traded brokerage companies in the world. And after that realized, you know what, I, I like this, but I'd like to do it on my own terms. And I'd like to help people and high growth companies that are smaller and more entrepreneurial compete with some of these big companies that I used to work for. Wow, that's a that's quite a journey. You hit a couple <laughs> notes there that I want to I want to drill down into because number one, you said thirteen different places in your first fifteen years you lived. Yeah, yeah, very tough. Um, yeah, was there? You know, can you talk me talk me through that a little bit. Like, how did you how do you sure. deal with that? Like, how do you deal? Because I'm imagining frustration, like you know, yeah. starting over, starting over, starting over. Can you tell me about how you dealt with all that? Yeah. So I went to three elementary schools, two middle schools, and two high schools. And it was oftentimes the case that I would just come home from school one day and find my parents and, and you know, get sat down and told that we were going to be moving. And maybe we had a month or maybe we had two months, but it was never really that much notice. And um, this is way before social media. So I, I would write sad pen pal letters to my friends and uh, do my best to keep in touch with phone calls and visits, but unfortunately, it was it was very challenging, and it was something that I think you know, as a kid, you want control or you want certainty, you want stability, you want your friends, um, and I think you know there are challenges, of course, in the way that all of us have grown up. Um, I think reflecting back with some of my friends, you know, nobody has had a perfect childhood, but I think there are gifts in it as well. I think. Um, you know, as much as it was a challenge, it has really helped me to relate and connect to people in a really deep way. It helps me to find lots in common um, with almost anyone. And it helps me also to be, um, I think, able to communicate and to travel very easy, easily throughout the world and to, to know that um, I, am, I am safe and taken care of. And, you know, people are people are people. And it doesn't matter who they are, if they're the CEO of a company or if they're the person pushing the mop and, you know, cleaning the lobby, um, I'm able to connect and, and find something in common with anybody. Yeah. That's, that's a powerful thing. Probably one of the more powerful things that humans can, can mm -hmm. have because we are social creatures. Yeah. Did absolutely. you, was there, was there a point in your time where you were thinking, where you had to start thinking of it from that positive side of it. Cause I imagine as a kid, you're, it's just, you know, all bad. Is there, is there anything that you actually can think back of and like, Oh, it, it clicked that maybe this isn't so bad. Maybe I am learning skills here. You know, I, I do remember there was a point when I realized, Oh, people are interested in who I am because I'm the new girl. Um, and that was advantageous. I think being a girl and going through that process because everyone has gone to school with everyone else for a very long time. And you're someone that they've never seen or talked to before. And you're kind of fresh and new and exciting. And so I think it did give me an opportunity, you know, maybe if I didn't have the best experience at the last school that I was at to think about, you know, well, who do I want to be? How do I want to change? How do I want to be perceived? Um, and I think for me also, because I was in athletics, um, that kind of through line of being in athletics helped me to establish a community as well. 
And so I think having that, that um, community through athletics and having the ability to kind of reinvent myself, I think was pretty liberating because at, at certain points, you know, you experience conflict in relationships and, and sometimes it's, it's nice to get away, you know, from those kids who are mean to you in middle school, I wasn't so sad to leave <laughs> and mm. move on to the next place. But um, I think the, the flip side of that is that when you, I feel a little bit um, jealous of people who have lifelong friendships um, because you know, they've been able to cultivate those over years and years and years. I have some longer friendships now, but it, it was something that I always saw that my classmates had with each other that I was kind of jealous of. Was there one place or point in your life that you enjoyed more? You know, of those of those 13 different places, was there one like, oh, I really wish I spent more time in this one place? No. Um, I guess retroactively, I would love to have lived in Germany when I was older. I lived in Germany for four and a half years when I was really young. And mm. so unfortunately, I don't think I got the most out of that experience just because I was so little um, and I couldn't appreciate what a cool cultural experience that was. I actually went to um, a German speaking Montessori school as a child. And so I wish that would have been on the tail end of my older years and not my younger years. Um, but I would say that's that's probably the coolest place I ever lived. I lived a lot um, in the Midwest and in the South um, and in some states uh, twice. Um, yeah, in a few states twice. So in your experience, moving around and going to these different places and now in your career, and I know we're, we're, we're skipping over a large, large chunk here, but I think it's really important to talk about that because you in your place, you are, you are helping people find their new home, their new career, yeah. their new place where they're going to spend their time and, and effort and energy. Do you, is there anything that you bring from the previous experience and growing up that, you know, you talk about relating to different people, but is that something that's front of mind in your day to day? Of how, of how, of that you are actually helping people and, and that you're trying to connect them with that next space? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the way that I ask questions and the questions that I ask, I think is really to uncover what motivates that person, what's really important to that person, what do they value? Um, if I can figure out what are the things that somebody absolutely needs and, and then what are the nice to haves? And, um, you know, there's there's definitely a spectrum of things that people are looking for and, and that my clients are looking for. And so that kind of values alignment, I think, is really important. So understanding what kind of person I'm dealing with and what's really motivating that person and where they want their career to go and, and trying to look ahead and to ask the right questions of these clients to understand, you know, succession wise, where can this role go? And, you know, trying my best to, you know, I think in an interview process, everyone puts their best foot forward, but at some point, one of one of the things that I coach my clients and my candidates to do is just be themselves. I think a lot of times we spend so much time trying to be this version of ourselves that isn't really going to show up six months into a job or a year into a job. And then, you know, there's a rub. You know, we don't know who this person is anymore or we didn't expect them to behave like this. Well, you know, if you're a person who really needs to have 
two days a week working from home. Don't say, don't say and don't commit to a role where you need to be in the office five days a week. If those, you know, two extra days that you have to be in the office means a grizzly bear shows up in the office, like that's not good for anyone. Let's kind of be real about who we are and what our expectations are and what our boundaries are so we can make a good match. And then everyone is happy and expectations are met and all of that. And so I think breaking down kind of the, the walls and the facades maybe that we put up um, in the interview process is something that I coach both my clients and my candidates to do. And sometimes that's spending like socialization time together. Like I have a candidate right now um, in New York City who is meeting with a client and they're meeting at the restaurant across the street from the office to just not be in such a professional setting and just to, you know, kind of let the guard down a little bit and spend some time one-on-one just getting to know each other. And I think it's really valuable, um, especially in these roles where you're going to be in the trenches lined up next to these folks for, you know, 60, 70 hours a week when you're working on a big deal. It's good to understand how people behave, um, you know, in other settings than just in the office. When did, when did you feel like you learned some of these techniques? Was there you know, like that, that sounds very insightful and, and a way that you actually go in your approach. Um, Was there a specific time in your, I think I realized, Oh, am I breaking up? Well, so my, my question is you've, you, cause you went to, you said the, the insurance, financial services, legal, and then you were working at the large brokerage firm. Was there a time where you started to really dial in your style and how you do things? Was there, where you really started to see like, oh, I got this. I know how to do this. That's a really good question. I think, I think maybe as I was getting into brokerage, I was coming out of um, legal and insurance and financial services recruiting. And I feel like I learned a lot there, but going into commercial real estate was kind of an entirely new industry to me. So I was really a sponge. And I was really um, focused on observation a lot for my first like year or two at conferences and kind of, you know, looking behind the scenes and trying to learn as much as possible and kind of figuring out the dynamics of the industry. And I think one of the things that I realized in getting into commercial real estate is that the, the, the most pivotal conversations, moments, connections that I have made have not been in pitch meetings. They have not been, you know, in presentations at conferences. They've been in the in-between spaces. You know, when I decide to stay out a little bit later, when I decide to let my lunch go a little bit longer, um, you know, when I'm sitting at the, the valet stand having conversations, waiting for my truck, you know, those types of like little in-between conversations and connections. Um, and so I I also saw too that, the people that I was quote unquote competing with were not students of the industry. They didn't really care. And I really cared to be someone who was taken seriously and was perceived as an authority in our industry. And so I did everything I could to learn the language and to walk the walk and to go to the conferences and to be able to talk about market trends um, and, and really was a student of the business. So I think, I think, learning at the beginning to be an observer, to soak in as much as I could, to learn as much as I could, and then to really like think about and be intentional with my time and and to take those extra opportunities to get to know people 
and to remember little things about people. I think probably, um, I would I would say probably that was a big piece of getting into commercial real estate. So the commercial real estate in the industry in general is is having a, a very tough time. I think I'll, mm-hmm. I'll put it mildly <laughs> like that. Um, could you talk about like some of the trends that that you've seen uh, in the industry and how you and or your clients candidates are taking? I don't want to put limits on on your answer here, but I want to kind of give you the stage and just tell me what you're seeing and and how you are addressing it. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things that I would say is that um, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. That's that's a very famous quote. And um, I tend to get a little frustrated with commercial real estate because we know that we're in a cyclical industry and business, um, but we commit the same sins and make the same mistakes over and over. And I, I say we, I'm putting myself you know, in the whole industry. Um, and one of the biggest, biggest mistakes that I see us make is that we staff up and invest, invest, invest in the high times. And then all of a sudden the market hits the skids or the market corrects or shutters or, you know, um, we hit times like we're in right now and a whole bunch of people are casualties of this market. And so I think, you know, one of my frustrations is as you see some of these layoffs, especially at some of the big internationally um, or big international publicly traded brokerage firms, you know, which are places that I've worked previously, I find them exceptionally frustrating because they're some of the biggest offenders. Um, they'll staff up in high times, they'll build big marketing departments, um, hire a lot of brokerage assistants, you know, onboard more associates than they can actually train and mentor. And then when they need to cut expenses, they cut expenses and, you know, a bunch of people are kind of laid to waste and, and are out there on the market and there, there aren't as many opportunities as there are people. Um, we saw that happen during COVID and then, you know, we had a little recovery after COVID and things were all right for a few years. Um, and now here we are again and, and some of the recent past is repeating itself and I find it very challenging as well, because if you look at the average age of our industry, um, I think it's in late 50s or early 60s, average age of our um, of our industry. And so we are not going to replace people at the rate that people are retiring and leaving the business. And every time there is a significant market correction, we lose kind of a generation of talent. You know, the folks who can't make it. Um, because there just aren't opportunities or, you know, if they're in brokerage, there just aren't deals and, and transactions to be had. Um, so I just, I don't think we're doing enough to invest in the future of our industry. I think we've got um, one of our biggest gateways to talent or gate, gateways to young folks coming into the business is brokerage. And brokerage is built on economics from, you know, the 1950s and 60s when a lot of these firms were founded. And it just doesn't work anymore when, you know, kids are coming out of school with six figures and educational debt. And, you know, they're, unless you're, unless you're coming from a very wealthy family, um, and that just goes to reinforce some of the lack of diversity and issues that we have um, as an industry. So 
um, it's a little bit of a rant and, and I tend to get on my soapbox about this, but I think we have very obvious problems. Um, and I think there's not a whole lot of innovation that's happening. And I think too, as soon as the industry hits a rough patch, we, we kind of retreat on some of the advancements we have made. Um, and so that's a little bit of what I'm concerned about. But, but right now, it's also historically, um, for this time of year, it's, it's a slower time. Most people aren't actively searching for jobs. Most people are trying to get to the end of the year. If you're in brokerage, commissions, you know, splits reset to, to zero at the beginning of the year if you're on um, if you're on accelerated splits or whatever. So there are people who tend to look after the new year. You know, people go home for the holidays and start to have conversations with their family members and start to rethink um, their lives and their career paths and all of that. And I think there's a huge group of people um, specifically who are in brokerage right now. Um, who are thinking about, you know, is this the time to transition onto the principal side of the business? And it's very attractive, but there just unfortunately aren't a lot of opportunities there right now. So um, it's a challenging time. Um, there are still companies that are hiring. Um, I think if you are able to add value, um, preserve value, um, you know, it's it's an easier position to be in. And when I say, you know, add or preserve value, if you're someone who generates revenue for a company or if you're somebody who's an asset manager who protects um, net operating income and revenue for the company, I think those, those roles are still, you know, in demand. Um, but a whole lot of folks who are in the more marketing, administrative kind of support roles, they've been hurt re really badly um, by this current climate. Is there anybody that you see, and you don't have to give names, but maybe if there's some ways that certain companies are doing things that were like, oh, I've seen this be successful over here. Because you alluded to, hey, look, most of these people are doing things in a way that's outdated. And yeah. they're still doing these, they're repeating the same mistakes over and over. Is there anybody who's doing it right? And again, you don't have to say the names of those people. But like that, you're like you know these people. They really think ahead. They really get here or there. Is there anybody that comes to mind? There are a few companies that are starting to give people livable base salaries. Um, I'd say those are fewer and further in between. There is a firm that's specifically focused on the tenant rep side of the business that has done a good job of identifying when people have high potential and are just getting buried by their draws. And I know of, you know, them going and forgiving at least one person that I know who's really high potential and a diverse candidate um, has, has, you know, made moves to forgive that person's draw. So they aren't just completely um, bogged down with that. And for, for people who don't know, a draw is essentially um, in advance that that the company pays you. And then as you earn commissions, that draw gets forgiven. And so sometimes I, I want to say, you know, I've heard of people having, you know, draws as high as, you know, six figures that they need to pay back. And, and that takes a serious, it, it makes you just feel like you're, you know, digging, digging yourself out of a hole while somebody is taking dirt down. Mm. Um, so I don't, I don't really see a lot of innovation to be candid. I do think that, you know, some companies are out there 
offering a salary. But I do think that there's an attitude adjustment that also needs to happen in our industry um, from, you know, some of the older guard who have this idea that, hey, I crawled on broken glass to get here. You need to do the same things I did. Or, you know, you're you're going to get my coffee. You're going to be my gopher. You're going to do these things. Um, and that's what I had to do. And that's the way you learn. And, you know, there's value in what I'm teaching you, but I'm not going to teach you the good stuff if you don't do these things for me. And so some of that, I think, is just kind of a relic of the past that we need to get over. And if we need that kind of assistance, we need to get it from other places. I don't, I don't think it's a healthy, um, I don't think that's a healthy dynamic. Yeah. You know, I, well, something that I, I allude back to is the, the expression, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But, mm. but if it is broken, but <laughs> yeah. people are still, people are still making money hand over fist, then why would they fix it? And now it seems that the brokenness is, it's pretty bad. And yeah. people aren't being creative because they never had to be creative. It always came back to you know, the, the, the money always rolled back to them. And I don't know, it's hard, to, it's hard to change those old habits. I mean, try, try as you may, but it's, it's a, it's tough sledding out there right now. Yeah. So I also sure. wanted to, I, I wanted to make sure to talk about what, one of the things that I, that I was really excited about and you becoming a digital nomad. And now it makes more sense knowing more actually about your, yeah. your growing up. I'm like, Oh yeah, you're just, you're just going back to your, to your ways, like how you, how you were raised in a way, but walk me through that decision and how you became, and, you know, just tell me all about that process. Sure. So um, I went through COVID in um, Hermosa beach, which is uh, the South Bay area of Los Angeles. And that was not a great place to experience COVID. Um, and I lived by myself. I had two dogs at the time, um, two senior dogs, and you couldn't go anywhere. It was kind of one of the, you know, hot spots, if you will. Um, and I was just kind of going crazy. I was paying a lot of money in rent. I was paying three grand in rent at the time. And you couldn't go to the beach. You could hardly walk down the street. Um, it was just a really frustrating frustrating time. And I kept having the thought in my head, you know, get rid of everything and just travel. And I was like, that's crazy. You can't do that. <laughs> like nobody can travel right now. Where are you going to go? Um, and it just was this persistent thought. And so persistent, persistent thought, couldn't ignore it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm just going to start traveling. So my lease was going to be up in October. And I called my building and said, Hey, I'm not going to renew my lease. And they're like, Hey, you can't because we're kicking everybody out and we're remodeling gut renoing the entire building. So you can't stay. And I was like, Okay, great. Can't back out. Um, All right. <laughs> so yeah, so then I started the process of um, downsizing. And literally, I had every report card from every year of school, all the way back to like preschool and kindergarten, I had everything. And so I went through everything piece by piece. I looked at everything that I had and I donated, sold, junked, uh, recycled, almost all of it. I think I only left with what could fit in the middle seat of my Subaru Outback at the time. And then my dogs were in the little hatch area. Um, I just said, I'm going to try this. I'm going to road trip around. I did six months uh, road tripping around with my dogs and my Subaru and staying at Airbnbs all across the country. And I said to myself, I'll stop when it's no longer fun. And I 
really thought maybe two months, maybe three months, and I'll be sick of it. Um, because I traveled a lot for business and I would hit a wall with that. And I just would get so tired or I'd get a cold and decide it was time, time for me to be done with traveling. But it kept getting more and more fun. And I was like, wow, I want to continue doing this. But I also was having a harder and harder time finding Airbnbs. Everybody was starting to do what I was doing. And so I was like, I need to switch gears. I want my own space. I want some privacy. And so then I investigated, I can do a school bus or I can do a van or I can do a travel trailer or, you know, any number of different things. So I investigated and I found a camper that I really liked. I knew I wanted to go really small because I didn't want to get a lot of stuff again. And I knew if I just get a big camper or a big van or a big school bus, I'm just going to fill it up with stuff. So I wound up finding a 17 foot teardrop travel trailer. Um, and they actually had one in the town that my parents were living in. My parents live in Wisconsin. Wisconsin is like a very good place to go find a camper because uh, everybody loves to camp. And so I went to the dealership with my dad and there was a guy standing in front of that camper that I wanted having an argument with his wife on the phone. <laughs> and the wife was saying, no, she didn't want to get it. And I said to the salesman, I was like, I will, I will put a down payment down right now. I want this camper. I put a down payment down and I started the paperwork on the camper um, that day. And then I went and traded in my Outback for a Ram truck. Um, I call her Betty White. Um, and my camper is Wilma. And so that started, um, and it'll be three years actually in March, March, April. Um, that I got that set up. And so then I just started traveling all around the country and now I was camping. So I was um, in campgrounds and state parks and state forests and um, going all over the country just with a new set of wheels. Was that, did you realize how freeing that was going to be immediately? Because I remember I'm, I'm reading your post and how great that was for you, but like, how long was it until you really felt like, Oh, wow. I'm so glad I did this. I mean, I think immediately I felt like I was transforming, like even just getting rid of the stuff. Like I can't, I can't stress how much the stuff felt like it was absolutely suffocating me. Um, and also it was not like I was living this really extravagant lifestyle and had a ton of stuff, but you know, I'm 39, almost 40. So I had just collected things, you know, my entire life. And um, it just felt like it was preventing me from doing what I wanted to do. And it just felt like it was kind of choking me out. And so I had started like following along like this trend of minimalism and Marie Kondo and, you know, uh, the life changing magic of tidying up. So I knew that I wanted to kind of go that route. But I think as soon as I started to get rid of the stuff, I started to feel more and more free. And um, it was, I mean, it was pretty immediate and dramatic, the change um, and how empowering also it is to know that you can go anywhere you want to go anytime um, and nothing can stop you. And, you know, you just have the entire country and the world at your fingertips. It's just the most incredible feeling. Do you feel like this decision has bled over to your uh, product? Maybe productivity is not the word, but do you see it leading to your gains and advancement in your career and your job and what you do for work? You know, actually, I was really concerned that I had clients 
in LA who are going to be unhappy about it. I thought, oh, I might lose some of my LA clients because I'm no longer there all the time. I certainly go back and we still have tons of clients in LA. Um, but that was a fear that I had, that maybe some people will think that I'm a dilettante or I'm not serious and I'm just like <laughs> out there partying and, you know, having this crazy time and um, I'm not really a serious person. What's been really interesting is that I think it's been such a point of connection for people with me. Um, you know, my clients, whenever I talk to them on the phone, they're like, where are you today? What are you doing? Like, <laughs> uh, what's your what's your plan? What's your next trip? So for me, I think it's been a gateway into new conversations and new relationships and new clients and candidates and all of that. Um, it's really funny, too, because you're either there's a spectrum of, of interest in this kind of lifestyle, right? It's either absolutely the worst thing you've ever heard of or the best thing you've ever heard of and like nowhere in between. Uh, but there's a lot of people, I think, who are kind of living vicariously through me, which is kind of a fun thing. Um, and, and my favorite like side effect of it is that people will reach out to me and say, you know, hey, I, I live here. I have a few days. I don't want to go further than, you know, maybe five or six hours by car. Where should I go? And I can tell people, you know, well, you could go this way. And then these are the things that you should do, or you could go over here. And so it's been kind of a fun thing for me to be able to use my travels to share with people and help them to create like incredible uh, vacations and experiences for their family. Yeah, you know, and those those points of connection that you're referencing and, and being able to talk about those things, that reminds me of what you said earlier in this conversation about those places in between that you're making those connections where it's not necessarily always about like commercial real estate or cap rates or occupancy. Like <laughs> it's the, it's the little yeah. things in between that really create those bonds. So now, now that you've, you've done all this traveling and you're, and you're doing this and you're 10 years in having your own business. So congratulations. That's a, that's an amazing feat. Well I'm four years, almost five years into my own business, but I'm 10 years into commercial real estate. 10 years of commercial real estate. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, well, congratulations. Four years is still amazing feat. So Thank you. congrats. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you see the evolution of what you're doing and how you're doing it? Are there any things that you're like, okay, I'm excited about making these changes to go here. There's any, anything on your horizon like that? So I'm really excited about some of the things that I've learned in my travels and in this lifestyle and helping people to create the lives that make them happier, not just the work. I think one of the things that was really interesting about COVID is that all of a sudden the separation that we had between work and life was completely removed. And a lot of people didn't know how to deal with it. And I think having an integrated life, like I don't think balance is something people very often ever have. You know, it's, it's, very rare that I am fully functioning at like a very even level in all areas of my life. But I've, I have my life, my, my work and my life integrated with each other, then I'm able to kind of make decisions and, and feel empowered and feel more in control of everything. And that generally makes me a happier person. So one example of this is through this journey, um, I started working with a virtual assistant. That'll be, I think, three years in April. Um, and just the partnership with a virtual assistant and 
utilizing, you know, automation in my business and doing things to really kind of increase the quality of my life. So I am working smarter as opposed to harder. I'm making systems for things. So it's much easier and faster to get things done. Um, so the, the kind of work that is really kind of um, rote and administrative and repetitive, that's not really work that we as people need to do anymore. And even virtual assistants can automate a lot of those, those things for us. So I'm, I'm thinking now more about kind of lifestyle design and how do we create an industry where we are doing higher level work and we're using our knowledge, our skill sets, our market understanding, um, our you know pattern recognition with leasing and sales and, and all of the things that we do. How are we operating in those more sophisticated spaces 80% of the time? And how are we spending... 20% of our time on the stuff that, that is, is really administrative and not um, knowledge-based. So, so thinking about working differently and thinking about, um, you know, even questioning the way that people work. I, I do think one of the things that frustrates maybe some folks who know me who are in the office sector is like, well, Allison, you're telling people that they don't need to go back to the office. And I'm not saying they don't need to go back to the office, but I am, I am saying that there's another way of living and that we don't need to be robots or ants marching, you know, into offices and then out of offices every single day. But I think there's this way of working and living that's more dynamic. And if we as an industry can be more flexible, that's what younger generations are looking for. And so we, by saying, hey, you need to be in the office five days a week and you need to have your butt in your seat before your boss and you can't leave until after your boss leaves and some of the antiquated things that I see at some of the bigger firms, we're scaring the next generation and really talented people out of our industry because we're, again, just doing things the same way that we've always done them before. And so I'm thinking about the future of work. I'm thinking about automation, AI virtual assistance, offshoring, and everything that we can do to make commercial real estate sustainable, but also a happy and productive place to be for the rest of my career and for the next generation. That's a very interesting perspective you have on it, because uh, talking about the office folks and you and you saying, no, I, I look at me, I'm doing, I can do this and I can be anywhere. And so can your employees to some extent uh, and some reach some places. Um, but that's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow for somebody who's, you know, their valuations are based on occupancy, you know, and, and lease rates. That's a tough, that's a tough pill to swallow. So I mean, there's, it's going to be challenging for a while, but I'm, I'm glad to hear that you're from your perspective um, that at least the conversations are happening and you are bringing that perspective and looking at things holistically as an, as an industry, as a person, as for staffing, that's comforting to know that you're working on those side of things. Is there one thing that you would say in these past, let's say, let's call it 10 years since you've been in commercial real estate. Is there one thing that stands out to you as, you know, I'd say pre-COVID too, that jumps out as one of the things that you really are like, this is what I love most about this industry, or this is what I like about that. 
doesn't have to be one thing, but I said, is there, is there one thing that you were like, I, I really like this part about commercial real estate. I'm going to like continue to pursue this. For me, like I am, I am a nerd. Like I love to go down these rabbit holes and learn new asset classes and learn about emerging markets and things like that. So for me, I just think it's such an information rich environment. And I know that I'm never going to be the smartest person in the room. And I have all of these fascinating people who are subject matter experts in all of these different areas that I can listen to all the time and continue to learn and grow and challenge maybe my preconceived notions on the industry. So for me, this idea that I remember graduating from college and getting into my first real job. And at a certain point going, oh, shoot, this is all there is. Like, this is it. I'm just going to do this until I retire and or die. Like, um, I realized that I was going to have to take charge of my learning. And I was really going to have to advocate for myself in absorbing new information and putting myself in environments that were teaching me and challenging me. And so I think that's probably the biggest thing that I really love about commercial real estate is that it's so dynamic. It's very diverse. It's always changing. Um, yes, there are patterns and there are cycles and things that happen. Um, and hopefully we learn from them. Hopefully we don't repeat some of the mistakes of the past. Um, but there are new things happening every day. And it's really um, how I explain it to students who don't know about commercial real estate is like, this is the industry that's all around you, but it's invisible. If you don't know everything besides the house you're living in, um, unless you're living in an apartment, which is commercial real estate, everything but a single family residence that isn't owned by like a, a, a black rock or whatever is commercial real estate. And so it's so cool to be a part of something that is so ubiquitous, that really is such a huge driver of how people live and work and play. Um, and, and also, too, for me, I find it really rewarding that I get to help people um, with their careers. And I had some very bad experiences in my career in commercial real estate. And so for me, helping people who are going through challenging times to navigate those challenging times and helping people to advocate for themselves and helping people to make better decisions um, and to evaluate things from a place of strength um, and confidence where I think a lot of companies feel like they have the upper hands all the time. I think that for me has been really kind of a healing experience to help people navigate their career paths and make positive changes and decisions and that too, not not only affects the individual. It might, in fact, uh, it might affect their families and and generations of their families, which is really really rewarding. Yeah, one of the things that coming from these conversations that you have, and one of the things I really enjoy about having this show and this podcast, is getting to hear the full context of of an individual and what makes them tick and how they learn and how they approach their job. And so everything that I've, I've seen of you and talked to you in the past about these things, um, it makes sense why you're good at your job and what you do. And uh, you. I just really, I just really appreciate all the things that, that you're doing for this industry. I, I know we could only touch on some of them here, but you know, all the, with biz now, and I've read some of the articles there and, you know, having conversations with you and, and diversity. And I love 
maybe more than anything else is that you you lead with you know your mind and your heart and you're doing things that are the right thing to do and you're you're reaping the rewards for that as well uh with the continuation of, of growing your your business and your career so i want to say kudos and congratulations thank you i appreciate it so as as you're looking for you know if somebody's looking for you like when should somebody come to you like are, who are you looking for right now are you looking for candidates are you looking for clients like what is the main objective that you're looking for right now sure. so i am always recruiting for a variety of different opportunities across the country of all different levels and all different verticals so you can go to my website crerecruiting.com and click on the opportunities tab and see all the different roles that we're working on and feel free to um, submit your resume or reach out to me on LinkedIn or Instagram or any of those social media platforms you can find me. I'm always looking for people who need help in navigating their career transitions, people who are um, you know, kind of contemplating getting into commercial real estate. I'm very passionate about helping people break into commercial real estate because it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, I'm more than happy to help, you know, companies that are looking to scale and grow and want to do it the right way and treat people well. Um, that values alignment is really important to me. So, um, yeah, open and happy to help. Um, whether you're a career or company and looking to grow, um, we're here to help. Well, I will include all of your contact information and your website and your LinkedIn and your Instagram. All that will be in the show notes. Allison, you've been so uh, generous and gracious with your time. Thank you so much for everything you do, but also for your for your time today. Thanks, Dustin. It was so wonderful to talk to you. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Tools, Talents, and Techniques. We hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And if you did find value in the episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast on your favorite platform, leaving a review, and sharing with your network. We have an amazing lineup in the coming weeks and months with some very impressive leaders and some of the heaviest hitters in business who are making a positive impact in the world. So stay tuned for more exciting episodes and special features coming up. We appreciate your ongoing support and look forward to welcoming you back next time on Tools, Talents, and Techniques.